0: I'm in Portland, Oregon.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, West Coast, represent.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm Cascadia. In the yeah.
1: Living the dream of the 90s.
0: I am indeed.
2: <laughs> Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at ifreakshow.com slash forum. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 56 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel we have Ben Sherman. <laughs> I can't think of anything clever to say. Hello Pete, from Houston. Pete Hodgson. Good morning from
3: East Banya. James Uber. Hello from Baton Rouge. Wait, I don't
2: live there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.TV, and we have a special guest this week, and that is Britt Young.
0: Hello, from Portland, Oregon.
2: Do you want to give us a quick introduction since you haven't been on the show before?
0: Sure. So I just moved to Portland actually recently. I'm the current mobile product manager at New Relic. And so I'm overseeing the products for managing and monitoring your performance in your native iOS and Android applications. And prior to that, I was the co-founder of a startup in Chicago for a few years, and we built Mac and iOS applications. We had a couple apps in the store, and we also did some client work.
2: Cool. I didn't know that New Relic did monitoring for mobile type stuff. Yep. I think it's relatively new, right?
0: Yeah, it's only been around about a year. But essentially, what we do is we provide performance monitoring of your real time user base. So we will monitor the Objective C code that's running in real sessions of your application out there in the world. And we will report back just health information, some information about the network calls that are happening in the background, how long different things are taking to load or process. Um, And then we will also actually trace your Objective-C code so we have visibility into anything that's taking longer than expected. You can sort of drill in and see what was happening in these traces and this is essentially the only way that you can get this kind of information after you ship an app is to have some sort of real-time performance monitoring tool in place and so that's what we focus on
4: do you guys do the magic thing where you can associate like a mobile request and the back-end request so i can see like if something goes slow on the on the client what's happening on the server as well
0: Yes. Yeah, awesome. so new, yeah, new Relic does, uh, we do web monitoring is um, obviously where we, we started. And so if your app is talking to an API or web app or web service that you are also monitoring with New Relic, then we can make that link, and you would see from the mobile device level perspective what the user experienced from a performance standpoint, and then you can also see um, how the server experienced that same network request.
4: And that will drill all the way down to, like, database queries, right?
0: Yes, yes. Um, it's yes, pretty you...
4: trippy. The first time I saw hey, – so I've never used iOS stuff, but I use New Relic for, for back-end stuff. And the first time I saw that, where it was like a server that called a server that called a server that called a database, and it had the whole – I could drill through the whole thing. It was pretty magical.
0: Yeah, that's really, like, what we're trying to do with mobile as well is bring that sort of power to uh, what's happening in your – Objective-C code and your device-level code um, and give you insight into the whole experience that your user is having, not just the worst-case scenario of you, you got a, something actually crashed, but uh, there's a lot of stuff that can happen in between that. Uh, what's, without that kind of visibility, you can't really know how your code's performing.
3: Yeah, a lot of the stuff is dependent on the, on the data specific to that user, right? So when you're testing... You know, an application might perform just fine, but as the data grows or as you have maybe power users who generate a lot of data, sometimes you can have just prohibitively bad experiences, especially if you're doing stuff like on startup. You could actually have the app in a state where it can't even launch because it can't, like, respond to user events before the application has finished uh, launching. And we've definitely seen that where uh, we did this thing where it was one of those things where you kind of find your friends by... Uploading a hashed version of your address book to the server, and then we compare with stuff that we have on the server. And so, basically, you're we're sending an address book—you know, not an actual raw address book, but a hashed version—and that worked fine on my phone. I have you know a couple hundred contacts, but our client has like five thousand contacts in his yeah. phone, so it would sit there for like ten minutes. And you know, we didn't do any memory optimization on it or anything, and it was just something I didn't even realize would be an issue.
0: Yeah, he's got yeah, 5,000 exactly. contacts
3: and He's running iPhone three. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, people run some pretty old stuff, but but even just we find that uh, what carrier someone's network communication is going over can impact um, the experience that they're having in a negative way or. Just the type of connection, if it's uh, Wi-Fi, maybe the problem performance problem is only happening when someone's on Wi-Fi but not over their data plan or vice versa. And also just the user data is big. Just There's so many things that you can't anticipate even with the best test suite in the world.
2: So what kinds of things should you be looking for? I mean, you mentioned the data size and the data usage. Are, Are there specific other things that you should be particularly looking for?
0: Sure. So um a lot of our, our customers that do heavy networking, they will monitor um, response times to the various APIs that they're communicating with. They'll monitor to make sure that the HTTP errors that are coming back are expected, um, not getting anything weird, and they'll monitor for um, spikes in their error rate. Um, you can also monitor the network failure rate just to have a better understanding of how many requests are never making it to your server because, for whatever reason, the mobile device wasn't able to connect and just kind of understand um, across your user base how often that's happening and for what reasons. And so that's sort of on the network side, and you can also kind of trace through the various transactions that are happening. So it's, it's great for troubleshooting network requests. If something is going wrong and there's a high response time, then you can actually drill in and see why and what's happening. And then the other side of things is just understanding the other stuff that happens in your app. So independent of network monitoring, you may be uh, parsing huge JSON files, for example, or um, just making a lot of database calls or communicating with core data a lot. And you want to make sure not only that the code is efficient, but that you're not blocking on the main thread or missing opportunities to optimize some things that should be happening in the background or should be happening in parallel in the background. So, kind of just being able to visualize and see what app-specific things you might be able to optimize is really powerful.
1: So, if I want to test the different APIs that my app might be using, maybe we've got a home service or going to the Twitter API, do I have to do anything in the app to get that information, or is it is it magic?
0: Um, it's magic. It'll it'll track every network request that's going out from your app in real time, and it will. Uh, trace that for you.
1: Okay, do I get a, a dashboard view on a website somewhere?
0: Yeah, yeah. So you would just log into New Relic, and you would just click on mobile, and then we have several different sections of our performance tool. We have network information in a separate section, and you would just kind of see what's happening, and you can change the time frame over which you're viewing your performance data. So you could see, for example, what's been happening in the last 30 minutes, or you could say what's been happening in the last month and anywhere in between. Um, and then if you see something that's spiking or that looks a little bit odd or your response time to your own API is hitting over um, over 10 seconds or something crazy, then you could actually drill in and see what was happening. Oh, very cool. Yeah.
1: Like what other things do we get out of the box?
0: Out of the box, we will monitor. Um, so everything that I talked about with networking is out of the box. Um, we will monitor common system or API calls that happen. So for example, we will track a what we call an interaction trace, which is every time a new view loads up. So we'll track your view did load, view will appear, and we'll start tracing. And then at that point, it's going to be app-specific of what actually happens after that. But we'll trace anything that seems like a major activity that's happening in your code without any extra work. And then if you want to put specific things that you'd like to trace, like say there's a really specific method that you're interested in, or um, you just want to get a lot more detail about what's happening in a certain view, that's when you could go and use our custom API and you could put in some of your own very specific metrics to report up to us. So you can do pretty much as detailed or standard as as you want to, depending on how much effort you want to put into it. But we try our best to monitor a lot of things out of the box. Some other things. So we also will monitor your JSON serialization calls, calls to fetch results from core data. And uh, yeah, I think those are like the key ones that we, we monitor.
4: What are some kind of common custom ones that you see customers creating?
0: I've seen some interesting stuff. So sometimes people are, are specifically interested in sort of what is uh, what is happening in a certain screen. So maybe you have a lot of different... UI elements in there and you just want to know how those are performing or loading up. I've also seen where people have wanted to report purchase information or values in addition to whatever interaction we're tracing. So they will capture some piece of data that's specific to what's going on in their app and kind of send it along with the normal trace. So if it's a, a view controller for your purchasing or your store, maybe you would also send a value as an extra metric.
1: So if you're a, a newer developer, it sounds like this is kind of a nice little test suite to find things that are problematic in your application, whether you're spending too much time on the UI thread or it sounds like a nice little litmus test if you're doing your app right. Does that sound sound Yeah, right? that,
0: that's a good way to put it. I like that. Yeah, we're basically trying to provide as much out-of-the-box performance information as possible that otherwise you wouldn't really see because we don't have visibility into how our code is running in every single instance once our customers get a hold of it. So that's the idea is, um, you know, you've done your testing, you shipped. Now, you know, we, we wish we could say that things are going to be perfect, but that's never the reality. So you can have the opportunity to drill in and see what's going on now that you have the information that's specific to the types of network connections, the types of data that people are inputting to your app, et cetera.
2: Can you run monitoring on the emulators that come with Xcode?
0: Yeah, you should be able to. It's just an SDK that you would drop into your code. so it will report whether you're just running one session on your development or simulate or even in the simulator, it will report into New Relic.
2: Does it report it any differently so that you know, oh, this is my development setup as opposed to you know running it live?
0: Well, you have you can create different versions, which is what a lot most of our customers will create um, a different token in our UI for their dev builds versus their production builds. So it would just report to a different place um, to keep the development work separate from your real time metrics.
1: No, I love it when the marketing team gets excited about test data that we've generated. You know, oh my gosh, they use this feature like crazy because well, we've been developing it and testing it. <laughs> Right. So it's good that you can switch the token out. It's a very yes. valuable, valuable tip. Yeah.
2: One other question I have regarding monitoring is: if they are disconnected from the internet for a long period of time, do you wind up losing data?
0: Mm-hmm, that's a good question. Uh, so. One of the things that's really important for, since this is an SDK and it does have overhead, is we have to make sure that we build something that's going to be extremely lightweight from the user's perspective. That's not going to impact, we're monitoring performance, we don't want to impact performance. So we have to keep our our network calls and everything very lean. What we will do in the situation where um, a user loses network connection is we will start buffering some of the performance information for about five minutes and we'll trace that information. And at a certain point, we have to stop tracing because we would be accumulating a massive amount of data that we would not want to send. have to send over the network when the user comes back online. So that's kind of how we draw the line there. And then once the network does come back online, we will kind of queue up and send the information in a way that won't impact performance.
4: Are you doing aggregation on the client to reduce the amount of network traffic or is it all just kind of sent over to the server in raw form?
0: Yeah, we do do a lot of work to try and make it very lean and we do aggregate information. We also sample across your user base. So uh, we're not going to be collecting every single thing that happens for every single user. That would be crazy. So we have a lot of logic and algorithms that will kind of figure out what we should be collecting um, and then we will sample across and make sure that we're aggregating a good picture of performance without kind of bogging down, if you will, the app sessions that are running.
2: So performance monitoring is an interesting problem. Do you do much in the way of the business process monitoring? For example, if I have an app that I've built and I want to put it out for people to use, and then I add this feature to it and I want to see specifically in detail how those people are using it. So I want the general performance metrics, but then I want to know specific things about this feature. Is it possible to do that with New Relic?
0: No, that's not something that we have in our performance monitoring tools. We have something that's for that type of thing on on the website, which is a product we call Insights, but we don't have anything like that for mobile right now. But we do, our performance monitoring does report um, usage information, so you will get uptake information for the various versions that you ship, and then we also have geographic information so you can see where your sessions are across the world geographically. And you can also sort of drill in and see in this region how are my response times and um, that sort of thing. What's the network failure rate in China, for example? So we have that level of statistics, but nothing that's um, more what you're describing.
2: Do you have any specific use cases where, you know, you've seen people actually use monitoring to fix problems or address certain performance issues
0: yes we definitely have obviously uh, most of our most of our customers uh, situations are proprietary and I can't really provide specific examples but um, some of the things that because we have a lot of customers that are running some apps that have you know millions of users at, at any given moment and one of the things that they will see is they can quickly kind of figure out if a performance issue is on the server side or on the mobile device side, specifically when it relates to communicating with APIs or just making network calls uh, where the problem lies. And we've also seen situations where someone's shipping something that is on various different hardware, like, for example, a Kindle, and they will see that they're not leveraging the hardware to the best of their abilities and that they could be spawning more background work than they are. And as a result, They're kind of missing out on opportunity to speed things up, make things a little nicer for the user. So then it's pretty clear when you kind of look at the trace to see that, oh, well, we're only, we're only spinning out a couple of background threads here and we could put things, more things in parallel. And this would definitely improve performance in this particular spot in my app. So we've seen a lot of things like that where it's just uh, not realizing that you could do more to optimize in what you're doing in the background versus foreground and how the background work is actually organized.
2: Does it actually make those recommendations to you? Spin up more background threads?
0: That would be awesome. We don't have we don't specifically say here's where your problem isn't any more than just um, we show you the data so that you can parse it and and make those kind of calls on your own. But that would be pretty sweet. If you could just ask the product and it would say, here's what you need to do next and I think that's something that we would love to get to eventually.
2: I'm still smarter than a computer. I feel good.
0: (laughs) You are, yep.
3: So given the, I don't know, the data that you guys collect, I mean, do you have some recommendations on things that people should be aware of? Like, time and time again, we're seeing X. Like, for instance, if this is web, and probably with a tool like New Relic, you could find uh, select N plus one problems where somebody is selecting a list of records and then iterating over the list, and in turn, in the iteration they are executing another SQL call, which is called the select N plus one problem. So instead of doing one SQL query, you're doing, you know, 26, you know, something like that. Uh, and so those are some pretty like common problems and mistakes that people make that tools can help, you know, find. I, I was just wondering like if there are similar things for core data or networking or something like that, that you guys see a lot that would be beneficial for people to be aware of.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, everything that I've sort of seen as, as the product manager, um, Everything that I've sort of seen is tended to be kind of specific to the customer or their app um, or what their code's actually trying to accomplish. But I'd, I'd say one of the biggest things is just not realizing where you might be blocking or where you might be um, not even just blocking, but just um, being a little bit inefficient in what's happening on the UI thread. I think there's a lot of situations where people think that they're doing just fine, and then they look at the data and they realize okay, I should be using my background work a little bit more efficiently here. And it doesn't really matter what the background work is. It's more about just not realizing instances where you could optimize for a better experience from the user's perspective so that your app is more responsive, the UI is more responsive. But the actual specific problems, so far I haven't really seen anything that's been a common overwhelming trend. It's, it's been a lot of specific instances of those types of issues, I would say.
3: So how do you uh, embed it in your application? Is this like a CocoaPod, or is it a framework?
0: It's a, it's a framework SDK. You just download it, and then you'll drop the couple lines of code in. You'll put the app token in, and pretty straightforward. It's just like three or four steps, and then you're good to go. And then it will start reporting as soon as a session begins, as soon as your app is up and running.
1: So how do you do the monitoring on Say view controller, view did load. How is that done? Do you know?
0: I do. We use something called Objective-C Methods Swizzly and uh, some other techniques and logic to basically, you can think of it as we're watching the code. So we're in there, we're running inside your app, and um, we're watching for common things that we are specifically looking for. And as soon as we see that, we will say, okay, start tracing. We will start watching that code Um, And then we have logic that kind of determines when we want to stop watching the code. And then we kind of turn that into, we parse that into some data that we can send up to New Relic to eventually display to you in a meaningful way. So it's it's kind of just, uh, it's just kind of in there watching what's happening. And to do that, we have to know specifically what we're looking for in order to find a good starting point and ending point to trace things and then we also will be in there watching what's going on in the networking. And uh, can't talk too specifically about how that's implemented.
2: So I'm a little bit curious. I've used New Relic for my Ruby on Rails applications. Not so subtle plug if you need back-end work, call me. <laughs> what I am curious about is, so you collect all this data. I'm assuming you have all the nice graphs and stuff like you do for the back-end systems. How do you go about looking at that data and evaluating it to identify your problem areas?
0: Sure. So we basically will show you um, trends in key metrics like error rate or response time or interaction time. So along with that, you can set alerts. So uh, if you have a specific API that you're concerned about, you might set an alert that's like, you know, if the error rate goes above 5%, I want to know. Um, so you can take sort of a passive approach and then the monitoring tool will basically tell you, hey, we think you need to come in and take a look. And then at that point, you would get an alert and you would say, okay, I'm going to go and take a look. You would see that exact API called out and you could drill in and see what's going on. And the same same kind of idea for interaction traces. So we aggregate the trend in how think typical interactions are happening in your app t- tend to take and where your code is spending time, and we'll break that out. So it's pretty straightforward when you go in. You will know pretty much instantaneously, wow, that is abnormal, that's spiking, that's high, or, you know, that's everything looks normal. And the idea being that we just want to show you at a high level what's going on so that you can clearly note when something is spiking or something is just going crazy. And you can then, at that point, troubleshoot by going into more detail. So if, I think that answers your question, hopefully.
2: Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I'm pretty familiar with the tool, and I'm assuming that it works the same way for both apps, more or less. So, I mean, being able to see the trend data, um, having it identify you know your slowest or least efficient processes, And things like that are just, they're just really handy ways of going, okay, if this is the slowest or if this is the most common slowdown, then, you know, how do I solve this or do I need to solve it? Because sometimes it's, it's the slowest, but it's still fast enough or efficient enough. And so, you know, just making those judgment calls. And one other thing I really have liked about New Relic is that you can kind of set your own thresholds so that you can say this kind of performance is bad and this kind of performance is good.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because it is, it is specific, I think, for every app, and for depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Um, even to the point of, you know, you're looking at a trace and it's telling you what your CPU usage. But I think you need that knowledge of your app and what it's doing in that particular instance to know whether that's appropriate or not, whether you're kind of hogging the CPU or whether you are. Um, that's what what your performance should be given the amount of work that you're doing. So yeah, so I think there's a level of just developer judgment that has to happen when you parse this kind of information but we try and do the best we can to show overall here's the trend and kind of call out spikes or call out abnormal instances of things so that you can kind of get to the problem faster
2: now one other thing i seem to remember about new relic is that it's a good price point for some people but not for others How do you go about evaluating a monitoring solution like New Relic to decide if it's the best fit for what you have given your budget or other constraints?
0: Well, we provide a light plan that's free that you can use that for as long as you want to sort of try out some of the functionality. We also provide an enterprise trial. So for 30 days, you can try out all the features for free and sort of evaluate whether or not you think it's something that you want to kind of invest in and have included in your product or not. And we do provide a standard plan. So we we provide a plan that's for non-enterprise, kind of targeting individual app developers or small app shops. So we try to provide a price point that we think will work for, no matter how large or small your team is.
2: What kind of features and what kind of integrations should a good monitoring solution have?
0: Well, I think one of the most important things is that it should be easy to incorporate into your code. So a lot of monitoring tools that are out there require quite a bit of work to get up and running. So I think it's important, first of all, that you have something that is not a huge overhead for the developers to actually get it up and reporting data. In terms of what it reports from a mobile app, I think the big gap right now that that we see and that we try to fill is uh, what's happening that could cause your user to have a poor experience that isn't a crash. So anything other than a crash, we have some great crash reporting tools out there already in the market. Um, so if you're looking to get kind of get serious about performance, there's a lot more. And in that category, I would say anything that has pretty comprehensive network monitoring and anything that has code device level visibility. Um, so anything that's tracing the common activities that are happening in your code and providing some insight and some standard metrics around that is what you would want to look for if you're looking to get into real-time performance.
3: On that note, just if you're looking to, I guess, get a sense of your uh, network performance, my approach is just most of the time, like we use New Relic on the server, is just to watch API response times you know, from the server end. Um, why would you perhaps also want it on the client end?
0: There are a couple reasons. So first of all, network failure is something that your server will never see. Because basically the connection never made it through. The other reason is because when you look at it from the perspective of geography or carrier, you can see where problems are isolated in your mobile network. So we've had customers who had sort of like sports, um, a sports app that was around a certain event, like maybe the Olympics or something like that. And so there there's a huge spike in a geographic region and usage And what will frequently happen with network monitoring is depending on where the call is coming from, the type of network, what carrier they're on, your users could be having a really good experience or a really bad experience. So you need to look at the networking from that side as well as how your server actually handled the response. I think both sides of it are very important. But you're just going to learn different things from watching the perspective of the mobile device or the mobile user.
3: Okay. Yeah, I think… You know, one other thing that just comes to mind is like sometimes you're just uh, returning boatloads of JSON and <laughs> then the client has to then go parse it. So, uh, and who knows what else they're doing during the parsing of that. So, you know, maybe that is another sort of cause for concern in terms of like, I fired this network request and even though the, it took 300 milliseconds to respond, they were still unpacking all of that data
2: uh, that happened.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. That's a That is a really good one as well.
2: Are there things that New Relic doesn't do that there are products out there that will cover those types of monitoring?
0: So, yeah, so we don't have crash reporting, so that would be one thing that um, people will use our tool in conjunction with the crash reporting tool.
2: Are are there one or two out there that you like?
0: We usually recommend Crashlytics. Um, It's a pretty good solution.
4: Is there a reason why you guys don't do crash reporting? It seems like that would be convenient if someone just, you know, they've already dropped the agent in, and then they can... Get crash reporting as well.
0: Yeah, um, it's definitely something that we're looking into. I think we just wanted to start by the past only been out about a year. Um, We wanted to try and start with the area of the performance monitoring world that we didn't feel there was adequate coverage. Um, So that's sort of just where we started was with the real-time performance. That is not necessarily a worst-case scenario, but that definitely impacts user reviews.
4: Yeah, makes sense. Do you intercept, or do you have a feature for tracing logs? Well, I mean, I know you can do, like, kind of custom metrics, but if I wanted to say, like, as a developer, I want to log an error when something non-fatal occurs or something. Um, um,
0: not at it. this time, yeah. We don't have a logging solution right now.
4: I actually looked the other day, and I couldn't find a SaaS, like, log aggregation thing for iOS, which is kind of
3: surprising, because you would think that there would be a, a need for that. Yeah, I've, I've considered building one on numerous occasions. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> but, uh, we've actually done some remote logs before, just like kind of one-off solutions, nothing reusable. But with Cocoa Lumberjack, it's, it's yeah. very much more like a log 4 net, log 4 J style logging tool where you can have lots of, uh, event sources and lots of event sinks and you can control log levels and you could say, okay, this type of event, I want to go to this sink and that sink yeah. happens to be a remote logging thing and you could do like buffered kind of like the the performance data you were talking about where you say i'm going to wait until i get like 20 log lines and then i'm going to zip them up and send them or, or whatever. Yeah. Um the Gosh. problem with doing that is logs are often like super like you can generate a whole lot of data in logs. Uh mm-hmm. so it's funny as we're talking i'm actually looking at server logs right now just uh to troubleshoot an issue. And we have well over a million log lines in our paper trail server. Oh, wow. Which is i mean Actually, sorry. All systems, 20 million lines. <laughs> uh, it's just a lot of data and this is truncated. I think they keep it for maybe a month or two months. So, I mean, this is, it's just a lot of data that you want to be able to turn it on and off. And so if a savvy individual out there wants to build the, the dream remote logging tool, my wish list would be have the device like phone home and say, what is my log level every so often? Yeah. And, and then could could uh log conditionally that way if if something happens I could sort of flip a switch on the server and then just sort of watch the events start trickling in and then I could turn it off later so I can uh not use all that uh you know processing power and bandwidth on the phone just sort of all the time, which I think would be kind of cool the the downside is when you decide that there's a problem and you want to turn on logging later uh, oftentimes you will have lost yeah. what you were trying to capture so it you know it's a double edged sword but uh, but certainly you could build something like that with um uh, with Cocoa Lumberjack, and I don't see why you couldn't use something like Paper Trail to collect the logs. Oh, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of back end tools
4: out there that you can plumb in Logly or Paper Trail or Splunk if you feel like dropping five bazillion dollars a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bazillion
2: with a bazoo. Yep.
0: The trick is is exactly what you were describing of being lightweight with uh, how much your data you're actually collecting and having to send over the network. Is that the real danger with any type of monitoring or logging solution?
4: Yeah, it's tricky as well because, uh, like, I mean, yeah, if you're using Cocoa Lumberjack or something like that, then you've got log levels. But Joe iOS developer is just using NSLog, and NSLog doesn't is just like all or nothing, right? It's like I'm logging it or I'm not. So yeah. And I guess, I mean, just, this is
3: a good chance to get on the soapbox and say, if you're NS logging stuff, somebody could just plug in their iPhone and look at the, look at the Xcode console and they're going to see that stuff. And you may be revealing uh, a little too much information about how your app works and API or, or, uh, if you ever log anything secretive, uh, like, uh, maybe an auth token or something like you're exposing yourself to more than just developers. Yeah. It's pretty easy to crack that open and look at it. So I, and not only that, NSLog is really slow. Huh. If, if you're logging inside of a loop, one of the Apple engineers at DubDub uh, mentioned, the reason why it's slow is they have a, you know, like NS, uh what is it, NS Gregorian calendar, alloc in it for every <laughs> single line, it's so they can put the timestamp in there. And I'm not really sure why they don't just have like a static, like date format or something like that. But anyway, there's some sort of like a, Uh, date object or calendar object gets initialized for every log call. And yeah, so, I mean, if you're logging in a tight loop, it will affect performance negatively. So I like to at the bare minimum just have a uh, you know my own funky log or whatever uh, macro that is just uh, defined out in uh, ad hoc or production builds. That way you get them in development and you don't have to worry about them in the other builds.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's really common. I think... What this kind of gets back to is the the fact that there are two sides to performance monitoring. There's basically the side where um, you're anticipating and the side where you're putting in place some monitoring for the things that you couldn't anticipate. And so we've focused on the latter um, thus far, but both are important, I think.
4: Yeah, you've got to kind of save enough data so that once something's happened, you can retroactively kind of drill in and see what's causing it, I guess.
0: Yeah.
4: Is there a... Um... Sorry, this is um, not related to that, but just because I'm poking around on New Relic, I guess the, I'm answering my own question as I'm as, asking it now that I think about <laughs> it. But um, is there an easy way, let <laughs> put it that way, to kind of mark when a new app went out if I'm looking at trends and I want to say like, so, so I know it's quite easy for New Relic to kind of track server side deployments or or kind of you know events that happened, like we just rolled out a new version of the app and oh look, performance is getting worse. Is there some some magical thing where the iOS agent will notice that the version number has changed and kind of post it up to the server or something like that?
0: Yes, yeah. It's um everything is version specific data, so we will parse out your information based on which version of your app it is. Um, so it's really straightforward to see. Um, as soon as you deploy the latest version, you're going to start getting data for that version. But you'll also still be able to go back and see who's running my older versions and get that data will still report as well.
4: I guess that would be, I can imagine that being really useful if you want to like end of life, an old API or like some old functionality, but you don't know what percentage of your users are still using, you know, version one of your app.
0: Yeah, definitely to to just know where the usage is and um, is something that you can just see in our tool. In addition to all the performance level information, you can just see who's using it, where are they, how many sessions are reporting, so how many users are, are using my app at any particular point in time.
4: One of the challenges I always have with all of these tools is that there's kind of like the sweet spot for one tool kind of bleeds into the sweet spot for another tool. So, for example, with, with New Relic, the, the sweet spot is obviously kind of performance monitoring, but then there's also this option of kind of monitoring user behavior and kind of user analytics. Have you got any insight on where to draw the line there like when should I stop using New Relic to get insight into this stuff and start using Google Analytics or one of the other mobile specific analytics tools?
0: I think they serve different purposes so I think it really it depends on what you're trying to accomplish but I think obviously I'm going to recommend that you always have real time performance monitoring, yeah. otherwise, you know, you won't know what's going wrong. But I think that there's good situations for saying I'm gonna use this particular tool while working on trying to A B test is is the screen performing the way I want? Are people tapping on the button that I want them to tap on and at what rate and how long are they spending on a certain view? And I think those tools are really coming at Things not so much from a performance perspective, but from a, a learning how your user behaves perspective. So I think that the reason that it's kind of fragmented is because we see things as solving different problems for people and having sort of a different area of expertise and also a different mindset coming at the problem. Is it, is it about learning behavior? Is it about um, understanding retention rates and, and uh, how many people click on the purchase button? versus I just want to make sure that my app is responsive and performing from the developer's perspective and that I'm doing everything I can to build something great. And I don't think that one tool can necessarily solve both of those things perfectly. Um I think that's why there's so many different things out there. But I definitely see what you're saying that We tend to bleed into each other a little bit by trying to broaden our offering and provide a little bit of a taste of those other types of special special monitoring. It can be a little confusing.
4: Well, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to have it in the same tool because you can aggregate on the same thing, right? So I can say, so with your A/B testing example, for example, if I can segment my performance metrics into everyone using feature A versus feature B or whatever, then. That's actually really useful because I can see some correlation there. But if I'm, if all that if that data is in two different tools, it's really hard for me to, for example, say, you know, is there a correlation between where someone's located geographically or the performance of the network when they're using the device and their propensity to click the purchase button or do in-app purchases or something? Like ideally, I want all of that data kind of smushed together so that I can, I can slice and dice it. I think that's part of the reason why people want it all in one. Place, but it's tough because then you you become the jack of all trades and the master of none, right? Like you're you're trying to solve every everyone's problem and maybe not solving any specific problem really well.
0: No, but that's a really good point. I, this whole podcast has been great for feature requests. <laughs> 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 I'm jotting all these down. No, don't I'll- steal
4: Ben's logging idea. He's going to be a millionaire.
3: <laughs> no, it's it's. I've i do not know if it's like a sign of getting old, but after a while, you're just like, I'm just going to let these ideas go because I just want somebody to build it, yeah. you know?
2: <laughs> you don't want to be the one to build it, huh? It's not
3: that it would be fun, but, like, when am I ever going to do that? So I'd rather just uh, let somebody else do it. And I I, think there's actually mu- th- I actually think there's money in that idea. So yeah, I do too. I was actually thinking
4: the other day of – I mean, like, you know, I asked, like, you know, is there something out there? Because I was thinking the other day, like, there isn't anything out there? Why isn't there? Like, I'm sure someone would pay me money to build that thing. Well, that's the problem, right? They wouldn't pay me money to build it. I'd have to build it first, and then find out if they'd pay me money.
3: Yeah, now that I think about it, I actually did this idea at a hackathon once. Uh, me and a buddy of mine. We got it working, sort of. But you know, the first eighty percent was done, and then the remaining eighty percent was <laughs> a lot, a lot more time-consuming. Very <laughs> <Burrito's lore. laughs> uh, But we did. I did have my own like uh, log statement when the app launches, and I ran through a loop and collected a bunch of logs, and I buffered them and sent them up to a server. And he was using uh, Goliath on the server. And basically oh, just cool. like a really thin evented uh, uh, front end that would publish things to... I can't remember what queue system we were using, but that way you could have some elasticity and like if it takes a while to log and then uh, storing the actual log statements in MongoDB. But that was, you know, two or three hours of furious coding. It sort of worked. <laughs> <laughs> have
4: you got any like amazing numbers on how many kind of... Events you're monitoring every second or something. I kind of imagine New Relic has pretty beefy, um, has a pretty yeah. beefy amount of data going through it.
0: Just the mobile product alone, we we capture hundreds of millions of uh, events, so it's a lot of data, and uh, definitely in the hundreds of millions.
2: Wow. Do you ever throw it away? I mean, uh, I can see that uh, you know data from one version to the next would be handy, or data from You know, this month to last month, but if you have five year old data, I probably don't care about it. Do you hold on to that anyway?
0: No, we don't. Um, our product has, so depending on the level of plan that you're on, you have different level of data retention. Um, but our maximum right now is three months of data retention, um, for that same reason of just, we're trying to help you, like, in the moment, what's going on, help you troubleshoot, so, it's a trade-off. Obviously, you know, if we, if you could keep everything forever, that'd be great. But that's just so much information and has to be stored somewhere. Um, well, and
2: the value declines so quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
4: There was a really cool presentation at Strange Loop uh, last year uh, that was the guy, I can't remember his name. He works at um, Stripe now, Avi Bryant or something like that. And he was talking about like all of these, the mathematics of capturing this data basically and the tricks you can use to capture the aggregate, but also be able to modify that aggregate as new data is coming in. So you don't have to store everything in the past, but you can still kind of update the aggregate information as new data comes in. Mm-hmm. I think he used the word monad several times, which made me smile because it always makes me feel like <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on. I really want to find this presentation now to put a link in the show notes, but I can't find it. Yeah, it sounds didn't. really interesting. There was also a really good uh, presentation at RailsConf this year from Tom Dale and Yehuda Katz who are building, I, I guess actually they're pretty much building a competitor to New Relic called Skylight and they're focused on Rails app. Um, it's very focused on Rails. Performance monitoring, but they talked a lot about their infrastructure and their, their architecture for, for dealing with this like crazy huge amount of data that's coming in really fast, and you don't want to impact the user, but you want to capture it, but you don't want to like you want to be able to process it and do interesting things on it. It's, it's a really tricky problem to solve. It's an interesting challenge.
0: Yeah, and ideally you want to do as much work as possible on the servers where you have processing power. So right. uh, you want to keep things pretty simple and minimal when it's on the device level.
2: I have one more question. I'm actually signed into New Relic at this point right now, and I see all of my clients' projects in here. I mean, they've got, I don't even know, uh, you know, 50 or so pro- applications that are being monitored in here. These mm-hmm. are web applications. If I want to monitor my own applications, do I have to set up a different account, or can I kind of segregate them?
0: Well, for our enterprise customers, um, we can do interesting things with like sub-accounts, and you can have lots of different sets of accounts with apps in it, but um, some people also just have a personal account and a work account. Um, they'll just log in separately. Um, you can do it either way, but uh, if, you're, if you have an enterprise-level account, then I can help you get set up with with uh, separate sub-accounts. What,
2: you think I made a money? <laughs> <laughs> you said enterprise. Anyway, um yeah, that's interesting. So, this account that they so they added my email to it and stuff, it's pretty well just tied into their system then. Yeah. Okay. Good to know.
0: Yeah. It's uh it's awesome to hear that you're you've been using it and uh hopefully finding value.
2: Do you guys have any other questions about monitoring or new relic for Brit?
3: You know, like you said, I didn't think there was any alternatives in this particular space. Uh, I know there's, there's, uh, lots for analytics and crash reporting, some for like, uh, A-B testing and user behavior, but not, not a whole lot that I've, in fact, I don't, I'm not aware of any for performance monitoring. So it's that's definitely a good, a good space to be in.
4: That's a good question, actually, for Brits, that Whatever alternatives are there out there apart from, uh, more like, actually, what I'd be most interested in is if there's like something open source that, that people can use. Well, new relic doesn't open source any of the agent stuff, right?
0: Um our mobile agents are not open source. There's a couple of tools out there that do that kind of do some of the same stuff that we're doing. The one that I hear about sometimes is is criticism, but they actually are, they're crash reporting and uh I think they may do some monitoring with the network as well. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a relatively new space and it's kind of got an interesting history because Web APM or application performance monitoring is something that um, people in the web world and server monitoring uh, are pretty familiar with. And a lot of, a lot of teams will have their DevOps people who are focused specifically on these types of issues. But once mobile development became big and we started to kind of mature as an industry, it became more and more Necessary to, to bring some of these principles and concepts over. And how do you translate the types of performance problems that you should care about on, um, that we're familiar with on the web side to the mobile side? That's actually a pretty complicated question. Because mobile apps are just the anatomy of them are extremely different. And most of the time they're interacting with third parties, they're interacting with web apps. So there's just a lot of moving pieces, but different types of problems. So it's just now starting to take off as as a space that it, I think we'll see more more work in mobile application performance management as we go forward. But yeah, the, the offerings right now, I'm not familiar with too many alternatives.
4: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, it's an interesting point because I didn't know that much about the mobile stuff that New Relic did before this podcast. And I I just kind of assumed it was like New Relic on the server like tracking network requests or whatever and i didn't really think through that. actually the performance the things you care about on a mobile app are very very different because you it's only one user using it so you don't care about will it scale but you do care about uh, what those experiences are like for that individual user i guess
0: yeah exactly and trying to find any patterns or or just understand where um and a performance issue might be isolated to specific types of hardware or um, mm. only a certain version of your oper- of the operating system or, you know, what have you.
4: I imagine that's even more useful on Android because there's so much stuff floating around there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a big deal on Android with the fragmentation of that market um, just to be able to say, okay, well, which devices are causing me the most problems?
4: I had an interesting statistic from someone the other day that works for a... A company that knows a lot about their users' platforms, and they said that the most popular, like Android phone and OS combination, the most popular is three percent market share, and it just goes down from there. It's cra- it's crazy, right? Like, just there's not like, how do you decide what to build for when the most popular thing has three <laughs> percent? Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a it's a crazy. It's been interesting watching the change in the mobile market. Um, I remember I was working on Mac apps at the time that the iPhone app store opened. And I remember when there were just like a few hundred apps in there. And it's just been insane watching things kind of blow up. And the change in how competitive you have to be and how business focused you have to be in order to make an app successful has been really dramatic.
4: Are you, I guess, legally or ethically allowed to kind of look at the really super aggregated data to report on trends like users are using which phones in which markets and stuff like that because that would be a really interesting thing to find out you know just because you have so much data flow through the system you could kind of share that with the community i guess
0: yeah yeah we are to a certain extent and we will sometimes publish our infographics like if you go on the new relic blog we've done a, a several series of of infographics of some of the things that we've learned from watching that type of information across all our whole user base. Um, anything that's not sensitive.
4: Cool. Everyone loves infographics.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a way to parse data into something that's a little bit more friendly to look at than just a bunch of numbers.
2: All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and do the picks. Jane, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. I've got a few picks today. One is a conference that
1: you probably never never heard of. It's kind of underground. It's called WWDC. Never heard of it. <laughs> Anyone heard of that? I don't know. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be there. I think Ben's going to be there. Actually, I'm not at WDBC, but I'll be around alt-confing it. Pete. So. But there's another conference coming up this summer. If you didn't get a ticket for Dub Dub and you don't want to spend $300 for a hotel and Pete's garage is full, so you're out of you're out of luck there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be speaking at that conference, which is not very near San Francisco at all. It's in Wisconsin. Wisconsin Dells. (laughs) So if you remember the TV show, That 70s Show, based in Wisconsin. Okay. Actually, pretty Uh, decent mobile track. We've got some other people around the iFreak family will be speaking there. So it's pretty good. And it's based in a water park. Yeah. So water slides with your iPhone. It'll be fantastic.
4: That's like the sister... That's like the sister conference to – or the sister water park to the one that they do code code mashes in the other water park in Ohio. This is, anyway, sorry. I'm interrupting oh. your picks.
1: All right. So conferences with water parks plus one. It's a thing. It's a That's thing. a pick. So it's going to be pretty good. August 11th to 13th. Tickets are on sale, and you get to hang out with me if you want. Those are my picks.
2: Yeah, and it says that the – I just went to the website. The, the call for proposals, it says it's still open, but then it says it's only open through the 14th of April. So. I'm confused. Anyway, Ben, what are your picks?
3: Just a couple of picks today. I use HipChat and love it at work. However, the uh, my client also used HipChat, and we've been wanting to sort of integrate our teams a little bit more. And so I convinced them to switch to Slack, because HipChat doesn't really have like a way to switch accounts without, like if I'm using the, the Mac app and... I would have to use the web app to join theirs. It would be really awkward. And then when you get, you know, you have your iOS app where you get uh, push notifications on, that would only be tied to one account. So I, I convinced them to switch to Slack and I've been, uh, slowly trying out Slack. I really like it. It's pretty awesome. I can't necessarily say it's like vastly better than HipChat, but they do have a free tier. So if you're on a small team, you could probably get by just with the free tier. And then the second pick is, uh, Raspberry Pi, which I know has been picked in the past, I think. But we just picked one up. I found a kit on Amazon for $60, $62. And that is like the cheapest way to get a dashboard up for performance stuff on uh, like a second monitor. So I was kind of tired. We use Librato, and we pump a bunch of stats uh, from our running service through uh, through StatsD and into Librato, And uh, so we get like technical metrics, like amount of memory and CPU percentage on our servers. To like queue sizes and how many events are flowing through our system, uh, to business metrics, like how many tracks are played or how many people, uh, have signed up today and, and things like that. And now that that's on a little, you know, Raspberry Pi, it just loads up one web page and puts it on a monitor. So it's pretty awesome. And those are my picks.
2: Very
4: nice. Pete, what are your picks? So I have a kind of ridiculously epically long list of picks this week. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go really quick. So, um, This WWDC conference is coming up. It's uh, the What Would Developers Create conference. That's what my wife calls it. And since I live in San Francisco, I know fun places to go that aren't within two feet of the Moscone Center. So I'm going to run through a bunch of places and I'll have links. City Beer Store is a short walk and has an amazing selection of beer, both in bottles and on tap. And there's a really fun place to go down in Soma. If you don't want to walk too far from Moscone, Amber Indian is right next to Tropasueño, which I picked last year and I said and I was told I wasn't allowed to pick again. Right next to Amber Indian is a place called Beard Papa that does puff pastries filled with cream, which are pretty much amazing. So you should go and get those in the afternoon. Ben told me I wasn't allowed to pick Special Extra, which is a coffee place nearby, but I'm going to pick it anyway. Um, <laughs> but since I wasn't allowed to pick that one, I also picked Epicenter Cafe, which is a little bit of a more of a walk but is also a nice cafe. One of the things that I want to tell people here at WWC to do is not spend all their time around Moscone because it's actually kind of a pretty crappy part of San Francisco to be honest. So if you walk up to Montgomery Street there's an awesome bar called House of Shields. Right next to that there's a really nice lunch place that's like totally literally a hole in the wall lunch place called Sentinel. So if you don't want to eat those kind of mediocre WWC lunches then Take a stretch, take a walk, enjoy that wonderful San Francisco sunshine or fog and uh, go to Sentinel and get some food there. And then a food truck that you should go to, which is a little bit further than Sentinel is Carry Up now. They do Indian burritos wrapped up in tortillas and super yummy. Keeping going. Sorry, this is the longest set of pics ever. I'm going to put this in a blog post as well, I think. It's really easy to get on BART and ride a little bit down into the mission and actually uh, see like a fun part of San Francisco. Once you're down there, you should go to Zeitgeist, which is an awesome beer bar slash biker bar. Uh, Little Star Pizza has amazing pizza. Four Barrel Coffee has amazing coffee. And the Monk's Kettle, which is just a very short walk from 16th Street, Bart, has a really eclectic beer selection of like weird belgian beers those are my picks cool you um, leading tours <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i'm available uh, available for hire four hundred dollars an hour Segway
2: tours right yeah that's right all right i've got a couple of picks they're books and one game the first one is i just read entree leadership by dave ramsey i'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey. And it was just a terrific book and really kind of drove home for me some of the things that I need to be doing better in my business. I've also been reading Winning by Jack Welch. Uh, he was the uh, CEO of GE for a long time. And uh, his is kind of uh, the same kind of thing that Entree Leadership is. It's a playbook for running your business and really, really been enjoying that one as well. And then I've been playing Hearthstone, which is uh, it's kind of like Magic. If you played Magic a gathering or one of those card games like that, Pokemon. It's kind of like that, except it's on your computer. That's been a lot of fun. It's a Blizzard game, and it's kind of based around characters or character types from Warcraft and stuff. So, anyway, those are my picks. Britt, what are your picks?
0: What well, Something I've been having a lot of fun with is this thing called Smart Things. Basically, a kit of sensors that you can put throughout your house. Um, and then there's a nice iPhone app that you can use to track things. So I have played around with these sensors, and I've um, I've put a sensor on the front door, and when you leave town or when I'm out of town, you can set it so that it will notify you if your door were to open or shut, which was important because we had a situation where we had some people who were going to be coming and doing some work, and we had some people checking in our house. So I wanted to know, be notified every time someone went in or out. Um, that worked really well, um, but you can also you can also have a, a temperature monitor, um, motion sensors. Um, so I've played around with both of those, and that's pretty nice. Um, so I'm definitely definitely having fun with the smart things. My other pick is if you are going to be in San Francisco for DubDub, dub, then please join the WWDC girls. We are hosting a benefit party on Wednesday, June fourth. It's going to be held in the evening at the New Relic offices. And we're going to be raising money for App Camp for Girls, which I guess would be my third pick in itself. Um, it's a really great organization, not-for-profit, based here in Portland and expanding to Seattle this summer that hosts a one-week camp for um, middle school-age girls to, to learn and get exposure about building software. And they actually built their own apps, so it's pretty awesome. But if you can join us on the f- June 4th, we're going to be hosting a great, really fun party. So hopefully you'll we'll see some folks there.
1: Do you have to be a WWCC girl?
0: No, everyone is welcome.
2: Everyone, okay. That sounds really cool.
0: It'll be awesome.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting because most of the programs like that where it's, you know, something girls or, you know, it's, it's focused around getting more women into the community. There are terrific, terrific things that are going on there. And most of the ones that I've seen are open to everybody. They give a little bit of preferential, you know, so if it fills up, they're going to let the women in first, which is fine with me. But, uh, yeah, so if you're interested, you know, show up, and if you can help, go volunteer.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: All right, well, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks for coming, Britt.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
2: And if people want to uh, know a little bit more about New Relic or find out a little bit more about what you're working on, what's the best place to do that?
0: So, for, I have a personal website. It's cocobythefire.com. Welcome to check me out on there. And uh, otherwise, you know, just through New Relics website, you can learn everything we're doing with uh, mobile monitoring and definitely check out our blog as well.
2: All right. Well, thanks for coming and thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you all next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN.